The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility and love of Christ. Here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day in the praise of God for our community here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written and emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of service and leadership in our midst, And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. Particularly today on Parents Weekend at Boston University, we welcome those parents present with us today. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, we begin each Lord's Day and so each week in prayer. Our theme at Marsh Chapel this year is prayer. Prayer is thinking God's thoughts after God. Prayer is sitting silent before God. Prayer, as Frost said of a poem, is a momentary stay against confusion. Before all of the rest of this next week cascades in upon us, we pause for a moment of quiet in prayer as our, con- as our choir sings for us the traditional Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. But for the grace of God we would not be, and but for the grace of God we could not love, and but for the grace of God we should not speak. But by God's grace we live and love and speak. Hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Job. Chapter 38, verses 1 through 7. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me. 
Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Let us say together verses from Psalm 104 with the antiphon. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. Wrapped in light as with a garment, you stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. You make the wings your messengers, fire and flame your ministers. You set the earth on its foundations so that it shall never be shaken. You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they flee. At the sound of your thunder they take to flight. They rose up to the mountains, ran down to the valleys to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they may not again cover the earth. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The Lord is full of your creatures. Praise the Lord. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Glory to you, O Lord. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, 
What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
please be seated. We come along our ancient forebears, our spiritual parents, this morning in an awkward moment and an unappealing pose. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, are haggling. They're arguing. They have given in to a bit of religious one-upmanship. And we find them here. It's difficult to come along those whom otherwise you may admire and respect at such an awkward and unappealing point. Religion has its dangers, as you well know. Pride, sloth, falsehood, religious dangers. Superstition, idolatry, hypocrisy, religious dangers. And here today, if we didn't see it and hear it clearly enough around the globe or in our newspapers or on our newscasts, right here in the scripture, yet another danger. Religious rivalry. Religion has its dangers, hence the need once in a while for a reformation or two, a time or two. This was an unappealing and awkward passage for the church to remember. It was written in the Gospel of Mark in or near the year 70, 70 of the Common Era. And you need not take the voice or word of today's preacher as proof that it was awkward and unappealing because Matthew, who wrote 20 years later and used almost all of Mark, and Luke, who wrote a few more than 20 years later and used almost all of Mark, both give this passage a bath and a haircut and perfume. Well, actually, Luke excises, eliminates the whole thing. And Matthew takes this awkward, misunderstanding, unappealing question that has been remembered on the lips of the sons of Zebedee and keeps the question, may I sit at your right or your left hand? May I be in glory? Is there a sacred location for me? And puts the question not on their lips, but on whose lips? On the lips of their mother, Mrs. Zebedee the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Mom, you can't catch a break, not even on parents' weekend, not even in the scripture. The church had a hard time remembering this awkward, unappealing passage of religious rivalry. But you know, there's something else here, isn't there? It's helpful, or at least can be a bit helpful, can it not, to come alongside our ancient forebears, our spiritual parents, and see and hear that James and John made a mistake or two, that James and John entered into a misunderstanding or two, that 
James and John, at least as the Markan church, for all of its reasons and conflicts needed to remember, could use a corrective moment now and then. So human. That's good news. That helps us in our walk of faith, for we are so utterly human as well. And our failings and our foibles are sometimes closest to our own most selves, and that can be just all right. My father died five years ago, and for most of his life, he smoked a pipe. I guess you would call that a failing or a foible. Now we know so much and are aware, so much more aware of the dangers of tobacco. Utterly human, he What I wouldn't give for just five minutes again to be surrounded by that familiar aroma and covered by that cloud of smoke and addressed by that loving and challenging voice for five minutes, make it three minutes, what I wouldn't give, which is the point of Parents' Weekend. Enjoy your parents now that you have them, including their failings and including their foibles and including their fables. So human being, being human, are we. That is, be kind to one another across the generations, forgiving one another across the generations, as across the generations, God and Christ has forgiven us. The Mark and Jesus response to the question raised by the sons of thunder directly, cleanly, you misunderstand. One who would be greatest among you must be your servant. One who would lead must Engage prayerful leadership. Simple, communal, humble. Prayerful leadership that is mindful, soulful, careful, and so prayerful. When your journey of faith, you who are parents or future parents, When your journey of faith, you who are children or former children, crosses inevitably as it does the necessary landscape of power and authority. This is a personal but a respectful, serious question for you. Will you embody, evoke a prayerful, Leadership? What is prayerful leadership? Is there not an existential simplicity in prayerful leadership? Not something that is lacking complexity, but something simple, beautiful, true and good, beautiful like a string of pearls. This passage, written well after Golgotha, is brimming with a memory of hurt. 
So the word about baptism, will you so be baptized? So the memory of the cup, can you so drink? And especially, who gave his life as a ransom for all. This is the church in the year 70, looking back 40 years to what happened upon Golgotha. When it comes to authority and its abuse, when it comes to power and its misuse, we, at least in the Christian community, need ought want to carry a living remembrance, the cross, of what that abuse and misuse of power can mean. It is our mother tongue. It is our sorrowful beginning. It is Golgotha, the misuse of authority and of power. This passage carries us to the costs, and there are, in life, in faith, in growth, in development. These things cost. So a prayerful leadership will be simple. Marsh Chapel is a simple nave, not 2,000 seats. Simple for a reason, to keep before us the focus, as John Wesley said, on watching over one another in love. Daniel Marsh and his wife were buried right here, beneath the pulpit, to mark that steady, simple, existential simplicity that is a part of prayerful leadership. Upon this frosty morning, you may want to drive across the Berkshires to the west just a couple of hours. The Berkshires seem dreamlike on account of that frosting, and there you're going to find the Shaker community, simple beauty in attire and dress, in vocabulary, in work, in design, in relations, the simplicity that befits a prayerful leadership. Some years ago in the dead of winter along the St. Lawrence, Jen and I attended a service in the evening led by our general superintendent. It was cold and icy. We had two children and one on the way and a salary of $8,000 and a PhD far from finished. Some of you can identify with that. Joe Yackel spoke and I was not charitable in spirit, not charitable in review of the sermon. And I mumbled and I murmured. But as we left into the dark of that ice, I saw him coat and hat, leaning to lift hymnals, a dozen and carry them to the cars transported them for that evening, and another dozen to lift hymnals and carry them. And I don't remember a word of the sermon, but I remember the hymnals. There's an existential simplicity to prayerful leadership. Is there not as well a regard for community in prayerful leadership? You know, the individual has her or his imagination and needs, and that's important. 
That can be a kind of simplicity, but for the common good to emerge, which is our focus in our life of faith, there needs to be a community ingredient to prayerful leadership. In the end of the fourth century in the city of Milan, a man who went from being an unbaptized pagan to becoming a bishop in eight days, Ambrose stood out and was summoned to leadership because of his musicality, because of his imaginative power, because of his beautiful rhetoric, and especially because of his remembrance of the common good. What lasts and matters and counts and is real in the long haul will ever and forever have within it this mark, this feature of the the common good. What counts for the other as well as for oneself. Is there not an abiding regard for community in prayerful leadership? Is there not a deep pool of humility in prayerful leadership? This week I came across a book important to many of us a decade or more ago by Jim Collins about forms of leadership. His last, his highest, level five leadership is humble, self-effacing, quiet, attentive, self-giving. You can get to level four by being Teddy Roosevelt. You remember Teddy. He was the center of attention wherever he went. When he was at a wedding, he wanted to be the bride. When he was at a funeral, he wanted to be the corpse. That's level four. But level five takes you to, isn't there a deep pool of humility in prayerful leadership? How I have enjoyed Charles Rice over the years. His work in New Testament and preaching has meant so much to me. A while ago, he remembered being in Greece for the Orthodox Easter celebration. And he went and sat quietly in one of the pews. And in that setting, women and men came forward to a glass-faced icon of Christ. We saw a similar one in Montserrat this summer of a black Christ. Here in Greece, this glass stood in front of the icon and women and men came that Easter to bow and to pray, to offer devotion and piety, and then to kiss the glass before they left. And every so often, Rice noticed, a little elderly woman dressed all in black, when there was a break in the line, would move over, come to the glass, take a little Windex and clean it off. And others would come and she'd go back again. Clean it off. And he realized, and with him I did, maybe you will as well, that that was his servant leadership, what that to which he aspired. That is to, in an hourly way, 
clean off the accretions of all that obscures the figure of Christ, all that blocks the figure of Christ, all that stands between another and the clear vision of Christ, including a fair amount of accumulated piety. There he stood to see. Isn't there a deep pool of humility within prayerful leadership? Beloved parents and future parents, beloved children and former children, Sursum corda, lift up your hearts, hear the good news. Did you notice the tense of the verb? This is the way it is to be among you. That there will be a servant cast to leadership. Simple, communal, humble. There's more to life than meets the eye, says the gospel. Reality and appearance are not the same, says the gospel. Real leadership is servant leadership, says the gospel. There's a mystery down underneath all these things that seem to mean so much, says the gospel. And that mystery has a name, one Jesus Christ, who addresses us in full voice today, saying the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. As we enter a time of prayer, I invite you to assume a posture that is most comfortable to you. Whether seated, standing, or kneeling at the altar rail, let us reflect as the choir leads us in the call to prayer. Eternal God, we thank you on this Parents' Weekend for those who guide us and love us throughout our lives. We lift up the parents, step-parents, guardians, teachers, and mentors who have nurtured us and sustained us. Bless those who are present with us today, in body or in spirit, and bless those who have remained at home or elsewhere. 
We lift up those for whom Parents Weekend is a reminder of loss, separation, or pain. Pour out your spirit upon them so that they may seek comfort in the beloved community, community that ties us together. Let them find a space where they feel strengthened by your guidance and uplifted by your tender, everlasting care. Loving Spirit, we thank you for granting us your grace so that we may forgive those who have wronged us in the past. Help us to heal our own wounds, both visible and invisible, so that we may tend to the wounds of those around us. We lift up communities torn apart, especially in Roseburg, Oregon, and other places shaken by violence. Fill us with your compassion, so that we may open our eyes to the injustice that we encounter in this world, and through our actions work to undo it. Almighty Creator, we lift up to you on this day the cares and concerns of our community and your creation on earth. Strengthen us from within, so that we may give a voice to the oppressed and the marginalized in our society. Foster in us the courage to listen to those who are different from us and help us overcome barriers sown by fear and mistrust to instead create peace and understanding. All of these things we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the name of your Holy Spirit. And now let us pray with the words your Son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy work be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. peace of the Lord be always with you. We welcome you once again here to the Nave of Marsh Chapel and uh, especially to any parents who are among us this week. 
We hope that you will uh, participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew and passing that along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. Three announcements for you this morning. The first is that, contrary to what's printed in the bulletin, our weekly Vespers service will take place at its usual 6.30 p.m. and not 12.30 p.m. following the service. Instead, following the service, we hope that you will join us next door at the School of Theology in the Oxenham Room for our annual Parents' Weekend Luncheon. Uh, There will be folks outside the chapel to direct you there following the service. And then, if you like, at 3 p.m., the Marsh Chapel Choir will join the Harvard Radcliffe Choir and the Boston Modern Orchestra Project at Jordan Hall uh, for a performance of Mansourian's Requiem in recognition of the 100th anniversary of the Armenian Genocide. Tickets and information are available at bmont.org, or you may purchase your tickets uh, there at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Make a day of Marsh Chapel, lunch after the service, a concert at Jordan Hall, and Vespers at 6.30. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on Benjamin Britten's setting of Psalm 100. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Freely have we, we, we received, O Lord. Help us with happy and generous hearts, freely so to give. Bless these gifts and the givers we ask in Christ. Amen. seated. Beloved, at this time in the autumn, we regularly invite those who would be interested in making a public affirmation of faith and so joining Marsh Chapel in a public way to come forward and be so received. Here at Marsh Chapel, one may become a member in several ways by an exchange of letter of transfer through our office, for instance, by signing the pew roster, the red pad that comes to you as member, for instance, by speaking to one of the clergy, uh, for instance, and also, as is customary uh, for many, to come forward in a moment of public recognition. If Mars Chapel is your home, and you would like to say so today and be received and welcomed and extended the right hand of fellowship, we invite you to come forward. And the congregation, we ask to turn to page 38.
Standing beside me is Brother Whitney, our university chaplain for community life, and Ms. Sandra Cole, who for many years has been our membership secretary. And they greet this fine new class of members, uh, Juliet and Deborah and Lloyd and Ben. I'm going to ask you, is Marsh Chapel your home, your spiritual home? Will you support Marsh Chapel with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service? Will you prayerfully watch over one another in love? Is this your way of keeping faith? For that, and Terry, we welcome you as well. We are lastingly grateful. So I commend this group to the congregation. I'm going to ask you to turn around so they can see your happy and smiling faces. And I'm going to ask the congregation to join with me in the commendation at the bottom of page 38, changing the happy phrase, United Methodist Church, to the happier phrase, Marsh Chapel. Members of the household of God, I commend these persons to your love and care, to all in your power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love. We give, we give thanks for all that God has already given you, and, and we welcome you with Christian love, as, as members together with you in the body of Christ, and in this congregation of Marsh Chapel, we renew our covenant and faith in for participating in the ministries of the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service, that in everything God The God of all grace, who has called us to eternal glory in Christ, establish you and strengthen you by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you may live in grace and peace. Amen.